Great to see you guys today. Hey, this is our final part of Asking for a Friend series. If you are just joining us, this is part four. Uh, if you were with us, then you remember that in part one, Preston joined me as we entertained some questions that you submitted. And then in part two, Josh was here and we uh, took some questions that day. And then last week I came by myself and dealt with a very difficult question. And that has to do with why do we suffer uh, why doesn't prayer seem to be answered and some of, the, some of the tough questions. So I wanted to handle that on my own. And then today I brought a great friend of mine, Kaylee, uh, with us. Go ahead and give her a hand, please. And I'll introduce a little bit more about who she is. Uh, if, you, if you were not uh, with us, then you may not know kind of the context of the series. But about a month ago, we asked you to submit questions. We said, just tell us what you'd like to know. Tell us some, some questions that maybe you wrestle with, some things that you go through, that you, if you could sit down with one of us and just say, here's my question, what would you ask? And you gave a bunch of questions. I mean, it was, it was awesome. We have probably had 60, 70 questions, something like that, that you submitted. And I'm sure many others of you had questions and you didn't actually ask them. Well, we went through the, the questions and tried to group them a little bit because we knew we weren't going to be able to get to all the questions. So we tried to put about five or so, four or five in, on each Sunday. And I shoved all the questions that we're going to deal with today uh, to today, okay, because I knew I was hopeful that I was going to be able to get Kaylee uh, to come and be a part of today's uh, message. And so she said yes, which I was very happy with. So we're going to deal with some questions. I'll, I'll explain that in just a second. Uh, that I think will be a little difficult for me to answer by myself. So let me tell you a little bit about who Kaylee is. Uh, Kaylee is a mental health therapist. She is the president and owner of Peaceful Waters Counseling and Wellness in Moyoc. And she uh, is also a follower of Christ and is taking time away from her church today uh, to be with us this morning and answer some questions about relationships and conflict and forgiveness and pain and trauma and a lot of the things that many of us go through. All right. So I'm excited to have her here today because she's going to be able to handle the the, uh, the bulk of this uh, material today, and I'll just kind of be here and ask a few uh, extra questions or maybe try to keep the conversation going a little bit. But uh, she is a well-trained, uh, filled with information and knowledge and very well-experienced therapist, and I hope you fall in love with her, and I hope that you uh, maybe find your way uh, maybe to her therapy offices if you so need uh, therapy. Yesterday, I had a chance to be at her um, prayer circle because they just purchased 40 acres of land in the Moyoc area and they're going to begin building a brand new facility there, about 6,000 square feet. And that, that's exciting. <laughs> Huh? Yeah, initially. That's yeah, the initially. Goal. Yes, yeah. yeah. And uh, they've got a pond on their property and, and walking trails, and it's just going to be an amazing uh, site. Hopefully, they'll have groundbreaking into this year. That would be good. That, yeah, wishful yeah. thing. I say by next summer, if we break ground, we'll, be, yeah. we'll have done something, but it's a long process. Yeah, yeah. that's going to be phenomenal. And you, you began your, your, your business in 2019, kind of at the beginning yeah, of 2019. About January 2019. So we've been open a little over four years, um, just it was myself at the beginning, yeah. and my mom was answering phones, and I said, okay, God, you told me to do this, so I hope some people call because I need to pay my bills, and yeah. then as time went on, the phone just kept ringing and ringing, and I said, okay, well, when, you know, I think we've reached our max, I'll have probably three therapists, and um, we'll be good, and now we have a staff of 20 with about 14 therapists, yeah. and the phone keeps ringing, so... Um, 
yeah, we'll continue to, yeah, so to God, grow as much as we can. He has blessed uh, your business there and just offering hope and life change and, and therapy and all the different things for so many different people in the area. I, I was so impressed yesterday. I, I heard someone, I think, it, I think you mentioned that when you first opened, you kind of sat there by yourself. You're like, I hope the phone calls come. And then this past week during a one lunch hour, there were 57 missed calls 57. during one lunch hour. So that shows you just how many people are, are flocking there and and receiving therapy and help. So anyway, we, we're, that's not why we're here today, but I do want you to have a little context to who uh, Kaylee is. And she's also gonna be with us for our HOPE Conference coming up at the end of next month. You, all of you should already be registered for that. You should take time away from anything else you're doing and make sure you get a ticket and be at the Hope Conference. She's gonna be one of our speakers uh, there. She's gonna be sharing, we'll get into this a little bit, uh, some of her story about uh, kind of where she was and where she is today and how God's brought hope into her life again. And it's just an amazing journey. And we're gonna have Chris do here as well. If you know Chris, uh, he's a phenomenal speaker and life change in his life. And Goodell and Abel Sutton's gonna be here. Lana and I are gonna be speaking. You don't wanna miss that Friday evening, all day on that Saturday. You need to get your ticket now and you need to be a part of that because you need to invest in yourself. You need to invest in your marriage. You need to invest in your friendships. You need to invest in the future you. We want to see you healthy and whole, okay? So you don't want to miss out on that. Don't let that weekend go by uh, because you decided to watch a football game or a basketball game, all right? And miss out the whole weekend because of that. You need to make sure you do what you got to do uh, to invest in you. All right, let's go. You ready? Okay, we got four questions that we want to uh, kind of open up today, and hopefully we'll go a little faster in this one, because we couldn't get to all four last service. I'm very long-winded sometimes. <laughs> I'm not. I'm very quick. I don't, I don't talk much. But, uh, uh, but anyway, we, we got four questions that we want to get into, and some of these questions are multi-layered, so uh, hopefully we'll unpack them and, and we'll go. All right, here's the first question. These questions were submitted by you, and I'm going to read them as, as you presented them. My marriage is failing and seemingly unrepairable. I'm very uncomfortable talking about this to my friends and family, even though I know I'll need support to get through this. How can I suppress my pride to allow this communication? So it may be you that asked this question. We don't know. These were anonymous when they were um, asked. But this sounds like a person who's obviously going through a very difficult, uh, obviously, situation in their marriage. And I think they know that they need some support around them but maybe they are afraid of confessing that to their mom, their dad, their sister, their brother, but they also know they're gonna need their support and they're just kind of in a, in a mess. It sounds like they're in a mess in their relationship with their spouse and also in a mess because they can't seem to open up and talk to their family. So if that person was sitting in front of you, where would we go? Sure, so I like the word seemingly. Um, I didn't really notice that last mm. time, but I see it now, seemingly, and by last time I mean the service prior to this. Uh, seemingly unrepairable because, in my opinion, um, and like we were just singing, what a powerful name it is, I think there is really nothing that is unrepairable, um, except for maybe in the case, and, and when I talk today, I'm not talking about, when we refer to marriage, I'm not talking about abusive marriages, that's a totally different story, um, or especially neglectful marriages, but I think that God is capable of, of anything um, and that really any hardship can be worked through. So I like that word, seemingly unrepairable, because sometimes it does certainly feel that way. Um, and it is very painful to have to swallow your pride um, to ask for help or for support, um, but divorce is also painful, right? So it's one of those things where it's like you have to choose your heart. 
um, we need the support. We're not meant to be islands. I think Jesus designed us to be in connection and relationship with others. Um, and I think hardship, especially in marriages or relationships, is universal. Um, I hear a lot sometimes from clients, they're like, oh, your marriage must be so perfect. You know, I wish I had a marriage like yours. I'm like, well, you don't know anything about my marriage. You know, we have our ups and downs too. They might not have seen me that morning, you know, tell my husband he needed to get his act together or, you know, speak harshly to him. But it happens, um, and it's universal. And I think once you work up that courage and you swallow that pride to start asking family and friends for support, you'll see that they've lived through that. Um, I always say you're either in a storm, you just got out of a storm, or you're preparing for the next storm. Um, it's inevitable, so and if you if you have a perfect marriage, I'd love to talk to you to, maybe you can give me some tips. I don't think there is one. Um, so definitely it's important, and I think um, swallowing our pride, too, sometimes when it comes to professional help is also um, vital. I kind of, I compare it sometimes to a plumber. You know, if we, if our toilet is leaking or broken, we might work on it for a week or so, and then we throw in the towel and we call a professional, we call a plumber. Um, sometimes we might work on it for an hour or not even work it at all. It's like, okay, well, just let's, let's call someone in. But yet when it comes to relationships or marriages, we'll work on them for years unsuccessfully before we reach out for a professional. I think there's a huge stigma there and maybe some pride that gets in the way, um, but why not reach out for professional help? Do you just think like we part of the reason that we're so slow in asking for professional help is because we think other people don't have the problems I have. So when I go in there and say what my problems are, I'm probably going to be the first one, you know, to, to bring all of this kind of mess into the therapist's office or the pastor's office or, or whatever. Do you think that's part of the issue? Absolutely. And I think yeah. there's shame sometimes attached um, I know for me, um, when my husband and I were planning our wedding, there were, there were a couple months where we were really at odds because, as you all know, if you're married, planning a wedding is pretty stressful. And I was like, oh, I'm a therapist, marriage therapist, and I have to reach out for marriage therapy. Yeah, this yeah. feels a little strange. You know, there's some shame there. What if the person judges me or thinks I don't know what I'm talking about? Um, but ultimately, it's, it's so powerful to get that level of yeah. insight, to have somebody who's unbiased, who can look at something and say, you know, you know, hold a mirror up and say, this is where I can see some growth happening. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, and often, what you're going through, I shouldn't say often, but, but you know, it, it certainly happens that what you're going through is not nearly as bad as you might think it is because you're feeling the emotional weight of it and someone objectively can say, hey, you know what? what I mean, what you're going through is, is serious, but, you know, here are, you know, five, five other couples or uh, I've seen this many different times and there's a re- little bit of a relief in, oh, okay, so I'm not so crazy, I'm not so bizarre. So sometimes it's not nearly as bad as you think it is. And, of course, the flip side of that can also be true. It can be worse than you think it is. And, you know, you go in and, and think, oh, this is no problem. And then the therapist can look at you and, and say, actually, what you're going through is, is quite serious. I'm glad you came in. Yes. So getting some truth to kind of balance that out and clarify what's actually going on in your life. Yeah. And I think our friends and our family can give us some truth, too. You know, when we're at odds with our partner, with our spouse, and they're maybe giving us some things that we can work on, you know, you need to listen more or pay better attention or whatever. We don't really, we're not like, oh, yeah, you're absolutely right. We get defensive. Um, But when it comes from a family member or a friend, someone that we trust, I think it's a little bit easier to take that knowledge in because 
you know, no one's ever 100% at fault. That is um, a myth that I see a lot is someone coming in and will say, well, it's my husband's fault. He cheated. He is 100% at fault. It's like, well, no, it doesn't really work that way. We don't get into percentages, by the way. So um, I say that, but it's not up for debate. You know, I've heard before, like, okay, well, it's, it must be 70, 30, or he's at least 80%. It's like, well, we don't do that. You have at least 1% ownership if there is a hardship in your marriage, right? At least 1%. Yeah. And so that 1% is something that you can work on and something that you can address regardless if your spouse attends therapy or not or it works on themselves or not. Yeah, that's good. Well, and it's, um, it, it's, it's tough, but I have learned that some of the most comforting words that you can hear uh, from someone else is, is me too. You know, when you finally get finished with Here's what, here's what I'm going through in my marriage or, or friendship. And let me just mention, I'd like for you to talk about the young people here, as, as you yes. mentioned before, because I think that was really good. Yeah, last service I was um, encouraging young people, which I did see some that are here, or even single people, to tune into this, um, especially when we talk about marriage and relationships. I remember for myself when I was younger in, in church and my pastor would start talking about marriage, I would look at my mom and roll my eyes and be like, why did you bring me here today? Like, yeah. this doesn't apply to me. And then I'd take out my pen and start doodling on the church bulletin and totally just zone out. But all of this is relevant. It even is helpful in coworker relationships, friendships, um, and it may not apply to you now, but you don't know what the future holds. And so, you know, maybe if it doesn't apply, just tuck it away into your pocket and hold on to it as a tool for maybe down the road. When yeah. those things I wanted her to say that because everything that we talk about when it comes to conflict within marriage, I would say 99% of it can be applied to a friendship, a colleague, you know, parent, child in, in some ways, because we're all just humans and we get married, we're still humans and there's conflict that exists when any two people get together. You're gonna see things differently, you're gonna feel differently, you're gonna have different opinions, different ideas. So conflict is conflict and, and, and how to manage that conflict can apply uh, to where you're married or single or friendships or, or anything like that. So anyway, there's so much into that question that we could spend another hour or so, but those are some highlights. So kind of to simplify that, you know, if you're, if your marriage seems as if it is unrepairable, that doesn't necessarily mean that it is, all right? I've seen a lot of people who've come in and said, my marriage is sinking, it's over, but one of them, you know, was, was willing to do whatever they had to do. I love the analogy of the dance. Talk about that again real quick, because yeah, I so, thought that was so good. Yeah, last sermon, I, I basically said that marriage is like a dance, right? And you if you've been, especially if you've been with your partner for a very long time, the dance is really good. You've got the footwork down, you're in a rhythm, even if it's a grumpy, negative dance. Um, and so what happens is sometimes people come in and they're like, well, my partner doesn't want help or doesn't want to come with me. And I say, well, marriage is like a dance. And if you change your footwork, like in, even in a physical dance, the other person is then required to change their footwork too. It's not gonna look the same. They're gonna right. trample all over your feet and all kinds of strange things are gonna happen. So if you are in a marriage that seems like it's failing, seems unrepairable, um, hopefully your spouse is willing to work on the marriage because that's where we see the most growth. But if not, remember that marriage is like a dance. And if you change your footwork, if you come home every day, regardless of the mood that your spouse is in, and you speak life into that person, you automatically are going to see that their footwork starts to change and that they start responding and speaking to you in a different way too. So, so rather than trying to make your spouse better, you just focus on you becoming the best possible spouse you can be. Yes, because you don't friend, have control over right, anyone else. Right, or friend. It doesn't necessarily have to be marriage. Uh, be a friend. Yeah, so the, the ripple effects of, of, of you becoming more healthy and you getting more whole can, can go through your whole house. Yes. 
yes. And yeah. don't lecture. The, I think the best way for to spark change is through your actions. Yeah. So instead of lecturing your spouse how to treat you better, why don't you show them through your actions how to treat them better, and then they're learning as well how to treat you. Yeah, you that's better. good. All right, we got we got to move on, or we'll get right back in where we were in the first service and unable to get through all the questions. Question number two, that's a huge question. How do you pray and forgive and love someone who hurt you and you are still hurting? So this is obviously a person who still feels the sting, the pain of what someone's done to them. They want to move on. They want to forgive, but they're having a hard time putting all that together. Yeah, so the first part, how do you pray? Like I said before, you might be able to speak better on this. Um, pray for someone who's hurt you. I think Jesus is acquainted with our pain and yeah. our grief, and so you just do, right? You just have an honest conversation. I think his, Jesus' shoulders are big enough to handle that. When it comes to forgiveness, we have this misconception that when we forgive, it should automatically feel better, mm. um, and sometimes that's not necessarily the case. Um, so I always say there's two parts to forgiveness. The first one is to make the choice to forgive, um, and then part number two is eventually the feelings of forgiveness come along with that. But first, it's a choice consecutively over and over and over and over again um, to forgive. Um, and you can love someone, but not let them back into your life, right? You can love them from a distance. You can love them as a person and not love every single one of their behaviors. You can um, dislike certain parts of that person, but love them as a whole. Um, so I think that's important, yeah. Yeah, let me, let me comment on the, the, what I find interesting about this question is the pray, forgive, and love. All three of those are matter, uh, at least large part of it has to do with the will. It's a choice that you make. If you define prayer as something you do when you feel inspired or you pray when you have the, you know, the emotional uh, want to, uh, you're, you're going to struggle to pray because there's a lot of times we don't feel like praying. We don't have the energy or the inspiration or whatever. Uh, prayer is something you choose to do. All right. Also, I think sometimes our most authentic times of prayer uh, happen when we are in the most pain and we are the most raw and we are hurting the most. In fact, when you go through the book of Psalms, you'll see how many of those Psalms are filled with, with the psalmist saying, God, where are you? Why have you left me? Why are these people treating me this way? In fact, if you read them closely, you'll see that sometimes there's a prayer that God will you know, ven take vengeance out, you know, kill those people, destroy those people, because there's this emotion and this pain and this rawness. So the prayer is coming out of all of that. So how do you pray when you're in pain? I think that's when you actually pray is when you're in pain. Because a lot of times, you know, it's just fluff, it's just flowery language. But when you're in pain and you're calling out to God, that is when you're, you're most authentic. Same thing with forgiveness. It's, it starts out as a choice that you make, all right? And you might have to forgive every single day for a long time before the emotions kick in or before the feeling of that comes. Same thing with love. You love, love is a choice. Love is not a feeling. Feelings are great, but, but love is something you choose to do. So... You know, that, that, that's a tough thing. And, and let me just say, nobody is saying anything that we're providing you is easy, okay? I mean, it, it is not easy to choose to pray, choose to love, choose to forgive when you don't feel like any of that. It's not easy. Yeah, and looking at choices, I like to operate from what we call cognitive behavioral therapy model, CBT. Um, if it's, you're finding it's hard to make a certain choice, you have to track that back to a feeling. There's yeah. obviously a feeling there that's hanging up 
or causing you to make an alternative choice. So you look at the feeling, that emotion, um, and then even further than that, you have to track that feeling back to a core belief or a thought. So asking yourself, okay, what are these core beliefs, these thoughts that I have that are causing this emotion that then are resulting in this choice, um, even if the choice is not to do something. So tracking it back is important. Um, and also honoring the hurt that you have. This is especially, I mean, it's important for all of us, but especially important with children. You know, if they're crying because, I don't know, if little Johnny's crying because somebody took an apple out of his lunchbox, it'd be very easy to tell little Johnny, well, suck it up, guy. You know, like, there's going to be bigger fish to fry later in life. It's not that big of a deal. Stop being dramatic. It'd be very easy to rationalize that. But our, we have limbic systems where... Um, for those of you who don't know what a limbic system is, I'll try to keep it simple. Um, you know, this is where you have the emotional part of your brain, and then you have your prefrontal cortex, which is where you have logic, rationality, chronological sequencing of steps. And if our limbic system, where we have those emotions, is screaming, if it's crying, if it's hurting, and we ignore that, our prefrontal cortex can't do its job. So the first thing um, is not to just say, well, the Bible calls me to forgive, so I guess I have to do this. Just sit for a minute before you make the choice to forgive. Just sit and honor the hurt, what you've lived through, um, e even if it's something small relatively, you know, to stop and to honor that and to say, this was really hard. This was really painful. I am deeply, deeply hurt. Um, and get, extend some love to yourself in order to kind of calm that limbic system, comfort that limbic system, so that then your prefrontal cortex can kick in and can make some, some good choices. Yeah. In a lot of ways, that is the difference in, in children and adults. I mean, there are many, but that's certainly a huge part. Kids have a tendency to react out of the emotional part because their, their logic and reasoning hasn't completely developed yet. Yeah, their limbic systems are massive, and then yeah. prefrontal cortex. It takes about, um, so for those of you that have children under the age of 22, there is there's some hope for you. Um, it takes about to age 22 to 25 for those systems to come in to alignment, where it, what it looks like, and I'm sure all of you have experienced this to a certain degree, you wake up one morning, you're like, I don't really want to go to work. I'd rather just watch movies and eat M&Ms all day. This job is kind of lame. I don't really want to go. And then on the other hand, you're like, well, you know, you have bills you have to pay. There are people that are relying on you. If you don't show up, you might not be able to keep your job. And so then you make a good choice. You actually get up and you go to work, right? That's what hopefully our brains look like and how those systems balance. But those systems are both very, very important. Um, and so I think when it comes to making choices that are healthy for us, you have to first pay attention to your limbic system and soothe that limbic system if it's been through something especially difficult or painful. And some people never seem to have the other part develop. So they wake up and say, I don't really feel like going to work today. I'd rather lay here and watch movies and eat M&Ms. Yeah. And that's exactly and what they, they end do. up doing. Yeah. <laughs> because the other part of their brain has not fully developed yet. Yeah. Or, you know, and it could be due to trauma. It could be due to that. trauma. It could be due to a lot of things. So it is possible when you deal with someone who's older and you think, why does that person act like they're 14? Well, they're acting like they're 14 because they're pretty much stuck yeah. in, in, in that 14 brain developing age. And trauma could have hindered that, wounds, and all the different things that happen could stop that growth, and that person just kind of stays there. Is that an accurate way of, of looking at it? Absolutely, yeah, yeah. and without self-awareness. I mean, our, our brains, have, we have neuroplasticity, so they have the power to grow and to change, and we can develop new patterns, but without self-awareness, it's hard to do that to work on developing your prefrontal yeah. cortex. And that's one of the reasons why I emphasize so much here at Forest Park, and if you've been with us over a, a period of time, you've heard me talk about the importance of transforming our mind. Because as our beliefs change, 
uh, our behaviors begin to change. A lot of times we try the opposite. You know, we try to change the behavior and we hope by changing the behavior, a person's beliefs will change. That typically doesn't happen. It, it can, there are some exceptions. But overall, it's when your beliefs change, what you think, how, what you believe is valuable, where you place importance, all of those things, as they begin to change, your behaviors begin to kick in and change. So when you give your life to Christ, you say, you know, transform me from the inside out. I love how Christ puts it perfectly. You, get, you must be born again. There's a, there's a renewal. There's a complete birthing over again. And as your mind changes, then behaviors begin to follow that. So transforming of the mind, renewing of the mind, Paul says. Huge, 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 huge. All right. Well, let's, let's, let's go to question number three. Because uh, this one is loaded with a lot of different things too. How to open communication. Why after years of marriage does it feel like I'm not married to my best friend anymore? How do you talk to your spouse daily about anything on your mind? How to talk to your spouse calmly without getting heated about what's important to you? This is a lot of stuff. Really good stuff. Yeah, Let's get into that. Separate them all out. How to open communication. I think... First, you have to dedicate yourself to the process. Um, if you want your marriage or your relationship to look radically different, newsflash, you have to do something radically different. Otherwise, you just keep repeating the same patterns unsuccessfully for years and years. So um, we see this a lot. This is on our intake form uh, for counseling. And the number one thing that we see is they want to improve communication. So it is a process. You can't just read a book, and then all of a sudden, you're a totally different communicator. You can't just attend a therapy session, sometimes not even a year of therapy, and be radically different. Sometimes yeah. it's a slow process, and you have to be comfortable in the uncomfortable. It sometimes, I think, uh, requires something that's so radically different um, that it seems cheesy or awkward or weird, and so you have to get okay with that. Um, and then I always say, I know this sounds strange, but this is what I want you to do. And then um, let's just try it. Just trust me. And then let's try it for a week or a month. And then let's just see what happens. And then it's like, oh, that actually kind of, kind of works. Um, why after years of marriage does it feel like I'm not married to my best friend anymore? Well, simply because people evolve over time and life happens over time. Um, time passes. When my husband and I got married, it was such a magical time. We got married in December of 2019. We've been together eight years. We got married in December of 2019, and we had a big, beautiful wedding. Life was so much fun. We spent 15 days in Africa. We traveled seven different countries for our honeymoon. We got back, and in February, we made an offer on a, a beach house. We were going to start at Airbnb. We were so, so excited, and then the pandemic happened, and I was a new business owner. We had to shut our doors for three months. Um, I, in January, someone had asked me if I, of 2020, if I would ever offer um, telehealth counseling. And I said, no, I'm an in-person counselor. I don't think I'll ever do that. Um, I like to see body language and have the person in front of me. And the pandemic happened. I'm like, I'm a telehealth counselor. I need people. <laughs> uh, I didn't want my business to go under. Um, and so that happened. And then my husband was diagnosed with osteoarthritis, uh, degenerative uh, disease, and had to have a, a hip replacement, a titanium hip. And then we got pregnant, and then we lost our first child. And then they were not letting people into the Outer Banks, so our Airbnb business wasn't doing that great. Then things got a tiny bit better in 2021 until we lost our second child. And so very quickly, 
um, we went from this magical, wonderful time into really some deep, dark depths of grief. And that was something, you know, growing up, I didn't go to school and my teacher said, here's how you deal with grief. Or someday, Kaylee, if you happen to lose two children, here's what you do about that. And here's how to keep your marriage and your love strong. Um, I was ill-equipped, um, even as a therapist, to venture into those deep, dark waters. And so sometimes life just happens. Um, and if you come to the Hope Conference, you'll see um, how I found hope in some of those dark times and um, how I got to where I am today. Um, but life happens, and it's heavy. Yeah. yeah. So life, I mean, I think that is so important. You, you know, Len and I have been married, you know, 32 years. That's a long time. We basically have spent almost our entire life together. We're different people today than we were when we walked down the aisle, you know, and said, I do. Uh, the only thing we could both envision on the day we got married were, were good things, you know. Our life is only going to go up. You know, things are going to be great. Uh, all the dreams, all the hopes. But when we look back across 32 years, there's been so much pain at times and disappointment and, and loss of, of family members and loss of friends and, uh, you know, this job to that job and church change and career changes and education changes you and all these different things. We're not the same people. And, you know, you have to reinvent yourself in some ways and reinvent the relationship and, you know, this sounds maybe a little cheesy, but you have to re-fall in love again. Um, that's why it's important to constantly uh, get to know your spouse at deeper levels and, you know, take time to um, uh, ask some hard questions and uh, try stay to grow together. To the stay that's exactly right. And, and hang in there. It's not, you know, you, you don't automatically celebrate your 25th wedding anniversary. You know, that's not just something that just happens. You don't just walk down an aisle and then you basically do the same thing you've always done and 25 years later you have your silver anniversary. There's work involved yes. and changing and evolving and, and holding on to one another when things get really, really bad. I mean, it's not easy. No, not at all. You know, that's a tough thing. Absolutely, yeah. Um, how to talk to your spouse calmly without getting heated about what is important to you. So we have these, I use this a lot in counseling, fair fighting rules. Some of you may have seen this before. Um, and if you want a copy of this, if you just go to Google and you type in fair fighting rules, therapist aid, this worksheet will come up. And here's just some basic things um, that you can do to fight fair and to stay calm. So before you begin, ask yourself why you feel upset. What is at the very, very core of why you're angry or why you're hurting? And then focus on that one topic at a time. Um, and I have, in order to stay on task, I have three steps. And this is something I would encourage you to write down. It's very simple, um, but you will probably try to go home and use this and then you'll forget, forget one of them. Um, so if you have a phone or a notepad, try to jot this down. In order to stay on topic, so this is going to take arguments from five hours long in your household to hopefully three minutes or less, because um, it's, it's just three sentences. Sentence one is to state how you feel using an I statement, right? Not you made me feel like crap, because that is going to spark a spirit of defensiveness, but to use an I statement, I feel sad. Keep it simple. One sentence, how you feel using an I statement takes ownership. Second part, so first is how you feel. Second is why you feel that way. We want to offer some clarification so there is 
Uh, no misconceptions about why you're feeling the way that you are. And here we try to avoid the word you. So if I said, I feel sad when you show up late, it might still, this part's harder to, for part three, we definitely don't want to use the word you. For part two, it's a little bit more challenging. I might say when people show up late, because it's not just my spouse that I might feel, you know, disrespected if he shows up late. It would be really anyone. So I would say, I feel sad when people show up late. I feel this way because, you know, people showing up late. And then part three is what you want, right? That one of the myths um, that we hear a lot is, well, I've been married for forever. My partner should just know that you practice the cheesiness and the different style of communication the easier it gets, yeah. And that, that's some of the humility that we just have to take. I mean, you know, no, listen, no one is, is born into this world knowing how to communicate well, understanding the dynamics of other people and their personalities. You have to learn that. And communication is an art. Yes. It takes practice and it takes failures at times and success. And even when you get, you know, you say these cheesy comments that you think might be silly, you, you know, when, when the argument calms down and the emotion is kind of cooled, you can say, how did I do? You know, was that better? You know, was that more clear? I mean, folks, if you want to be married to this person the rest of your life and you're trying to be intimate with this person, you know, become okay with humbling yourself in front of them and saying- It's a worthwhile investment. Yeah, I'm trying to learn how to communicate better. And I know that I have failed many times in the past and I've allowed my emotions get in the way and- and, you know, we've argued and we fought and I, I want to be better. So, you know, was that better? You know, and just the yeah. humility and, and work together to make it better. And if your spouse drops the ball, you can say something like, um, I'm going to need you to reframe that for me because I'm feeling a little triggered right now. Yeah. Right. So let's let's yeah. reframe that. Let's yeah. do let's do that. Let's do a do over. Right. Or you might drop the ball and you can say, I realize that what I said probably did not come across the way that I intended. Yeah. Let me redo this. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Good. Yeah. All right. Go ahead. I, sure. won't, I won't stop you. You anymore. can go to the next one. No, I mean, these are part things two. that yeah, a, a lot of you guys probably already know these things. Take turns, express your feelings with words, no degrading language. And then part two the of next, this, the um, at the top, it's go. no stonewalling. Um, so if you are super angry and you need to step away for a minute, before you do that, give a time where you're going to come back. I oftentimes will say, I love you, but I'm really upset right now. I need five minutes or I need a whole day or I, I need a week before we talk about this again. I need to cool off a little bit, but I love you and I am going to come back to it, right? I'm not just going to leave you hanging because this is important to me. So... Don't just retreat into your shell and refuse to speak. Plan a time to come back to it. And then if your partner asks for that, please be respectful of their request. Obviously, no yelling. Sometimes our words are good, but how we use our words can be hurtful. So being mindful of tone. Take a time out when things get too heated. Attempt to come to a compromise or an understanding or agree to disagree. Um, there are going to be times in relationships where there is no compromise, there is no understanding, and you have to ask yourself, you may think very strongly that you are right on something. You have to ask yourself, which is more important, me being right on this or keeping the peace in my marriage, right? Oh. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. All right, let's, let's, let's move to the next question because sure. we didn't get into this in the first service. I want to honor your time. Um, here, here it is. How can you find peace without destroying what or who is causing your grief and pain. Now, when I read that, I think of someone who is going through, obviously, a very difficult situation, 
and the person causing their pain may still be in their home, like their husband, their wife, or someone close to them, and they want to experience peace, but they're not so sure they can without getting rid of this person, destroy the marriage, quit the job, etc. So it's kind of like, how do I do both? How do I keep the relationship and find peace? How do I stay in the job and find peace? They're just feeling somewhat hopeless. Yeah, so I saw this last time. We didn't get to answer this in the first service, but it gave me some time to think about it in between services, and I came up with this acronym. I don't know if it's a good one. I just thought of it on the fly. Um, but there's several things. I think finding peace is kind of like finding joy or happiness. There's no, like, one clear recipe. Like, do X, Y, and Z, and you'll be at peace for the rest of your life. I would be very rich if I created a recipe for peace or yep. for, for happiness. Um, it's, it's quite complex. Um, but I thought of a couple of things that can help you to find peace and keep your peace um, while also being mindful of maybe another person in your house, things like that. So the first one, so the acronym is BEAMS, B-E-A-M-S. I totally made this up um, like 15 minutes ago, so bear with me. Um, the B would be boundaries, 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 is to say, you know, here is truly what I need to maintain my peace, and I'm not going to accept anything different. Um, the E, I know we're, we're short on time, but the E would be empathy. I think um, learning to see why maybe that other person is responding um, the way that they are. For example, my husband, um, early on in our relationship, he liked to walk away from conflict. Like, I'm just like, all right, this is what's going on. Because I'm a very, like, I like to make eye contact and get into the heart of it. And I want to know then what we're going to do. What's the plan? How are we going to move forward? Um, and I was like, why do you just keep walking away? This is making me very angry. And I found um, in the midst of when we were going through this season a little sheet of paper that my husband had in storage, and it was something that he wrote, wrote his grandma when he was a little kid, and it said, my grandma's as pretty as a, shi a red shiny apple. And I don't know why that, like, stood out in my mind. I just pictured a little version of my husband. And every time he would do that, I'm like, there's that little kid who thinks his grandma is as pretty as a red shiny apple. Um, and that helped me to have empathy so I wasn't operating so much from a place of anger or hurt. Um, acceptance would be the A. Some, sometimes we just, acceptance doesn't mean you like or condone what's happening. It just means you accept the fact that you don't have control over that thing or that other person, and so you have no other choice but to accept it. Um, that can bring you peace when you stop trying to fight it. Yeah, and this can be for little things, right, where you just, you find yourself annoyed, um, and I'm talking about a lot about my husband. I hope he's not watching. He'll probably be very embarrassed. He loves Crocs and tube socks. I don't know why or where he got that that was good fashion sense. It's absolutely horrible, but every time you wear them, and I'd be like, can you please put on something else? Like, I... People know me in public. Like, I can't be seen with this. Uh, finally, I just accept it. So if you see us at Walmart or something, yes, that's me, and that is my husband in Crocs and tube socks and, you know, pants that don't match and non-matching shirt. So acceptance can bring you peace. Um, in mindfulness, I think, is important, is learning how to stay regulated in a dysregulated environment, right? This is very important because sometimes we cannot... I was at Mexican on Friday with a friend um, who's going through a divorce. I'm preparing. Um, I'm on maternity leave right now. I go back to work Monday. I was preparing for that. I was preparing for this morning. I was preparing for our prayer circle yesterday. 
she asked me to, to go to dinner. I have a newborn, and she has a two-year-old and a five-year-old. We went to Mexican. Worst idea ever. Hands in the queso, spreading it on the walls, throwing chips, all sorts of things. And I had to just, in that moment, just breathe, right? And just to say, obviously, I can't get this whole crew and pack us up and leave. We're, we just ordered our food. Um, I have to sit here, and we have to make peace with this. So staying regulated, um, especially this works if you have children, to step away and to say, first, I got to regulate me before I try to help this little person be, or this teenager be regulated. Um, and then the last one, S, self-care, and that includes self-talk. So how do you find peace and keep your peace? You have to practice self-care, and that includes how you speak to yourself, making sure you speak to yourself with compassion, just like you would if you were talking to a close friend. Yeah, that's good. Well, that is some very, very practical kind of down here where you live. I'm going to give you one thought on that. It's kind of a big kind of up here. When I see that, one of the things that I, I would uh, counsel is not connecting your peace or lack of peace with something that is external that you can't control. Um, I think a lot of times we, we think, I'll never find peace because of this job or this person or this situation. We don't have time to get into this, and I probably wouldn't have to prove this because I think you probably have examples of this too, of people who have found peace in the most difficult, the most trying, the most painful situations imaginable. And they have somehow found peace because peace often is here no matter what's going on out here. And if we can ever find out how and a lot of what, every single one of those things, the, the BEAMS, the acronym, has to do with really kind of getting things in alignment here. The empathy, um, the sense of acceptance is all internal. Um, you know, learning how to, to manage your own and regulating yourself and self-care, all of that's here. You, you can't change that person or that job or that employer or that friend or the fact you live in this particular neighborhood or the fact that something's happened in your family where your husband or your wife has been diagnosed with a particular... You can't change those things. Um, but I know people who've been able to figure out how to be at peace in the middle of hell itself. So it, it is possible. And, you know, we are promised in Scripture that we can receive a peace that passes all understanding. What that, it's kind of a fancy way of saying that God can give us a peace that you can't really explain. It's just like, how does that person have peace? I, you know, I just can't explain it. But in the middle of these very trying circumstances, they can have peace. So you just gotta stop thinking that your peace is dependent on other people. Because if you think it's other people it's responsibility to give you peace. You're going to be miserable the rest of your life because I think there, I'm old enough now to know that there are some people I think that are just dead set on disrupting your peace. They just want to see your peace disrupted. And uh, if you don't learn how to control yourself, you know, in fact, that's kind of the crescendo, if you will, the, you know, the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, long suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, or self-control. You know, it's one, of the, it's one of the telltale signs of a mentally healthy, spiritually healthy, emotionally healthy person is that they have the ability to control themselves. They're not, they have not given that control to other people. Other people do not flip the switch in that person's life. So just, you know, don't assume 
uh, that your peace is dependent on them. All right. Has this been helpful? I hope so, because that's what we want to do. That's what we want to do. You know, our mission, if you're newer to Forest Park, our mission here, very simple, to help people follow Jesus one step at a time. And we want to get down into to the, to the nicks and crannies and the little parts of our life that makes it hard sometimes to follow Christ, to follow the, the Prince of Peace, to, to follow the one who promises to give us peace and wholeness and joy and all those things. How do you live that out in a marriage? How do you live that out with friendship? How do you go to work tomorrow? How do you go to school tomorrow and still live those things out? We wanna get down to where you live and do everything we can to break it down and help you take that one step at a time. Because if we can take a few steps, those few steps turn into a lot of steps and those lot of steps turn into an entire journey. It's your whole life, okay? That's our goal. All right, let me, let me pray and we're gonna be dismissed here. Father, these questions that have been asked come from your people here at Forest Park and these questions represent, I know, pain and confusion and, and all kinds of things that are present in our marriages and in our friendships and not just the questions today, but the questions over these last few weeks and asking about where God is, where you are, God, whenever we pray and why don't you answer certain prayer requests and questions that we had about uh, scripture and all the different things that we've talked about over the series. We wanna do everything we can to help people take a step in your direction and learn what it means to follow your son Jesus on Monday, on Tuesday, on Wednesday, at work, at school, and all the different places. So Father, take the insight that we've provided, take the truth that we've provided, and just put it deep within our souls and let it take root and just grow and produce fruit. Produce love and joy and peace. So many of us need peace. Produce that. Thank you for Kaylee's time. Thank you for all the people who were here today. And may uh, this truth set us free. And we give your name, honor, and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, if you're new to Forest Park, the little new here card, a little white card that says new here, I think it is on the, on the front. Take it, fill it out. It won't take you just a moment. Drop it by our new here desk on the way out to the left. We've got a free gift there for you. Just love to answer any questions you have. Make contact with you and thank you for being here, okay? Let's give Kaylee one more hand. You guys are dismissed. Have a wonderful, wonderful day. Thank you for being with us. We'll see you.